Welcome to Art's meeting. Um, <laughs> um, I decided not to talk about myself too much. What I want to do is just keep this kind of brief and then just make this a call-up meeting or volunteers can come up and speak because I, I don't know about the rest of you, but I cannot talk for an hour and I don't think anybody really wants to listen to me talk for an hour. Um, <clears throat> I just want to do a real brief qualification first and then um, get into my, my topic that I want to bring up today, which is willingness. Um, as Joe said, we met about 22 years ago in treatment at a place called Bremen House in Milwaukee. Um, I first started using when I was 14 years old, and I just kind of described... Is this better? Okay. Um, I kind of like to describe myself as an addict in search of an addiction. Um, I just remember the first time I went out and bought a bag of marijuana, and I smoked some, and I got really high, and I went over to my friend's house who had a sister who was 16, and she was really, you know, worldly at 16 years old, and I showed her this thing that I bought and told her how, you know, I really had a good time with it, and she said, it's a bag of oregano, you idiot, you know, and, but I was still, I was looking for something to to give me, you know, to give me that feeling, and, you know, just to keep things really brief, things progressed. I used to think that people who took pills were nuts. When I started taking pills, I thought people who took powders were nuts. When I was using powders, I thought people who shot up drugs were nuts. And when I started shooting up drugs, I really did become completely nuts. Um, I um, finally had to, you know, admit to uh, to my wife, and I was seeing a psychiatrist who I was not being at all honest with, and um, I was offered the opportunity of going into treatment. I, a lot of you may have may know or remember Dr. Harrington. And um, I remember I went into the treatment center for my at DePaul Hospital for my evaluation, and he just, you know, he was a very big man, and I'm not very big, and he kind of sat down right next to me on the sofa and put his arm around me and said, you know, you don't have to come in here if you don't want, but if you don't, we're going to pull your license. So... <laughs> That, that was a good incentive, and um, I had, and I look at this as an opportunity because it seems like it just doesn't work this way anymore for for people who are seeking help. But I had the opportunity to be an inpatient for a month and four months in a halfway house, and I mean it's the kind of thing I never want to ever do again. But it was it was definitely the best thing that happened to me. That's where Joe and I met at uh, Bremen House, and you know I, I sort of learned to live in a community. Um, at that point, it's just like, you know, all of us, I was just at a point of complete isolation. I didn't, didn't want to deal with anybody. I didn't want to deal with myself. Um, and from then on, it's been, uh, it's, it's been a wonderful journey. I've just, uh, decided today to talk about the topic of willingness. And that's something that I, I, uh, sometimes, sometimes lack. Um, one of and there's a, a number of little little topics I want to talk about that relate to willingness. I know when when how it works was being read this morning that willingness to be honest is a big big thing for me. As it says in how it works, you know there are those who have grave emotional disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. I'm one of those people with a grave emotional disorder, but you know I can't use that as an excuse. I have to have the capacity to be honest. And that's something that I was never willing to do before. And now I still, once in a while, will take my willingness back where my insights don't meet, 
they'll match my outsides and I can put on a real good front. But again, I need to have that willingness to be, to be honest. Um, willingness to me is in direct opposition to self-will. At least that's the way I look at it. And they, it's funny because they both have the word will in them. Um, and one of the first things I need to admit I'm willingness over, I'm willingness that I need to have willingness to admit that I'm powerless over drugs and alcohol. And, you know, people talk about cunning, baffling, powerful. It was real easy for me to admit that I was powerless over, over, um, intravenous narcotics, that I was powerless over alcohol because, you know, I can't say every time I drank, I get, I got drunk, but a lot of times when I drank, I got drunk and I didn't drink because I liked the taste of it. I just drank to, feel different. Um, so it was easy for me to admit that, but there are still little situations that come up in my life that remind me of my lack of willingness sometimes. I, I had surgery about six or seven weeks ago to fix a, a ruptured Achilles tendon, and uh, when I came home, my son filled a prescription for me for 40 Vicodin. And, um, you know, the first day it really hurt, so I... I Took three of them that day. And then after that, I decided, you know, I don't need to take this stuff because I could feel it was making me a little goofy. So I just relied on Advil for the next few days after that. But I kept that bottle of Vicodin for five days just because I was thinking, well, maybe you'll need it later or maybe you'll re-rupture it and then, then you'll need to take it again. And it was just, and after five days, it finally hit me that I wasn't being honest. I wasn't being willing to admit that I am powerless over this stuff. Um, there was nobody at home to dispense it to me, so it was just sitting there. And um, finally, after five days, I had one of my friends from, from one of my meetings come over. We flushed it down the toilet, and that, that was the end of that. But again, it is... It is the willingness that I needed to admit that I was powerless over. And I, I take my willingness back every now and then. Another thing that happened to me in that regard was, um, <clears throat> as a lot of you know, my wife died back in November. And um, I finally had the courage to go through her medicine cabinet um, a couple weeks ago, actually. And in the course of going through her various chemotherapy and pain meds and all that stuff, I found three bottles of Oxycontin. And um, this, time I did have, this time I did have the willingness to get rid of it. Now, when I first found it, I, I, my heart dropped. I just had this feeling of incredible fear as far as what am I going to do with this. But again, it, it, it wasn't so hard that time because I had my Vicodin lesson. Um, another form of, of willingness that I need to use comes to me in step three, where I have to be willing to turn my will and my life over um, to God as I understand him, her, or it. And again, self-will gets back in there again. It tells me I need to be in control. If I let go of things, then they're not going to work out the way I want them to work out. And I have found through my experience, I don't want to say experience, or it certainly has nothing to do with being smart, but just, again, from getting beaten down over and over again, I've learned that I need to have the willingness just to let things go. And when I let things go, it's funny. They always turn out the way they're supposed to turn out. And, you know, things work out okay. Um, step seven, I need to be willing to reach for humility. You know, I used to try to do step seven on the um, character defect of the week program where, 
you know, I would try to get rid of a character defect every week, which I could, you know, I could do that if I really concentrated on one defect, but all the other ones would come, would come rushing in. So I, you know, I just learned I can't do it, do it myself. The other thing is that my self-will tells me that humility is the same as humiliation, you know, and I, I need to stop listening to that voice that's telling me that because without humility, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to get anywhere. And again, for me, humility is getting out of the way. Um, and then finally, um, the thing I have the most difficulty with as far as willingness goes is willing to be open to the possibility that something good might happen. I've learned for me, I, I have to fight my negative out, outlook on life. And I just want to read a couple quotes here from my uh, non-approved AA literature. Um, and this first quote says, if you keep on saying things are going to, going to be bad, you have a good chance of being a prophet. That's, that's the first one that I really... And then the other one that I wanted to mention is that when a person drowns himself in negative thinking, he is committing an unspeakable crime against himself. And again, for me, you know, this business of being a prophet, I've learned that there's something... There's always something bad about every situation, you know, if I choose to look at it that way. And that way, I'm always right, and I can be in control, and I can say, see, I told you so. But for me, the, the real the real job is to look at the possibility of good. And again, I've been through some tremendous heartache in the last year, um, again, with my wife's death, having surgery, um, illness in my parents, and... You know, it, it may sound strange, but there has been good that have come out of all these situations. And I see that good as an evolving process. It's not something that I get immediately. But for me, again, it comes down to willingness to be open. And just like it says, I guess that gets back to the how of this program. Um, and that kind of sums it up, honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. So that's kind of where it is for me today. Um, I'm glad I talked with uh, Joe's wife, Jean, on Tuesday night because she reminded me that I was speaking this morning and I completely forgot about it. So um, I'm, I'm glad to have the opportunity to be here, and uh, I'll pass with that. And I'm just going to open this up if anybody wants to come up. Otherwise, I'm going to have to pick somebody. So thank you. My name's George, and I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. Um, boy, this is hard. My uh, 20-year-old daughter died in December of a drug overdose. And what I figured out about willingness was that when life is going well, it's easy to be willing. Um, but it's been a lot more challenging for the last six months, and I identified a lot with what Art said. What I found is that... Um, the connections that I had with the program, I really took for granted when my life was going so well. I went to a lot of meetings. I had a lot of friends. And you tend to think that your life is going to go on like that forever. Uh, but what happened to me was, after my daughter died, um, I think Alcoholics Anonymous really kept me alive. And I was willing to at least drag myself to meetings. And I was more willing to accept help, I think, than I ever have been in my life. 
And you know, these rooms are full of people with my story, with the long arm of the active disease coming out and touching you in the most intimate, painful way. So what I'm trying to do now, I'm grateful to be here, so grateful to be sober, glad to see a lot of old friends. But what I was able to do last night, the Altines invited me to talk about my daughter's death. And as hard as that was, I I got to the point where I was willing, and I did. You know, I'm hoping that maybe I made a difference for just one teenager. Um, but I can't say enough about just that concept of willingness, because I think during the really bad times, it's what keeps us alive. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Francisco, and I am an alcoholic. You know, I, uh, my first day of sobriety was 2002, August 7th, in Palm Springs, uh, AD, IDAA. Uh, so this is a real special meeting for me, and and um, the topic is willingness. I, I also go to a meeting every day, and I haven't been to one in a couple of days because of all the travel and planning. So I'm jonesing for a meeting, man. i got to get up here and talk. So... Um, the topic of willingness to, to me, uh, and again, I'll, my opinion, uh, you know, the how, honest, open, and willing. Um, honest, there was an old timer. They used to, uh, he, he passed on now, but he said, don't get a hearsay program. Don't get an off the wall program. The program's in the book. And, and, uh, it starts, um, with the doctor's opinion. And it says, I, well, the, with the forward, but anyway, um, Dr. Spinion says we cannot differentiate the true from the false. And, uh, so, so how can I be honest? Uh, you know, and I have found that what I believed was true a year ago, I see differently today. Um, because I keep growing and, and, you know, with God's help. And, um, you know, we were talking last night about perception. One of the things that uh, I've heard say is that what's common between alcohol and AA is that they both changed my perception. Um, of course, alcohol stopped working at the end. Um, but AA, I believe, um, won't. But so, so I, I, I uh, the how of it, the open-mindedness apart about it, uh, that is also improving, uh, with time. Uh, so to me, the most important word of the how, open, uh, honest, open-minded, honest, and, and willing. Willing is the most important word. Um, I've heard say, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you feel. I care what you do. And, uh, and that, that really works for me because there's times, you know, I don't want to, or I don't believe it's going to help, but I do it because I was given directions. I'm willing to follow directions today. And the only reason is, is because I know King Alcohol is waiting right out there with his lash to get my butt in here. I, um, I was in diversion for seven years and being drug tested randomly and, uh, and drank every day. And, um, 
And I couldn't tell them that I was drinking because I knew they'd sign me up for another five years, you know. And so <laughs> uh, I graduated with a little diploma. And three months later, I was in an ICU, uh, you know, with pancreatitis, hepatitis, and, and was going into renal failure. That didn't stop me from drinking, you know. It took what it took. But uh, but anyway, you know, the, 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 the third prayer... Uh, the third step that says, uh, we turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. I believe that it's always my will. Um, I try to align it with God's will. That's what step 11 says. I sought through prayer and meditation for the knowledge of His will for me and the power to carry that out. And, and so, so uh what I have to be careful is that it's not self-will run riot. Um, but that's why I, I don't do this alone. I share with my sponsor. I give him my great ideas. And sometimes, uh, you know, he, he he's a very kind and loving sponsor. He doesn't call me a dummy for thinking what I think. He just says, well, did you, did you consider this? And I said, oh... No, I didn't. Um, so I, I love my sponsor. Somebody says, um, if you don't think your sponsor is the best one in the world, then you got the wrong sponsor. Uh, I don't know how true that is, but, but, uh, but I, um, I certainly think my sponsor is probably one of the best and, and, uh, he has 34 years and I love this program. Not only did it save my life, better still, it gave me a new one. Uh, what finally got me in here was, uh, you know, they tell me, it's going to get better. You'll be amazed before you're halfway through. I say, yeah, yeah, okay. And um, and to me, I was at that spot where it's like, I don't care if it gets better. All I want is for it to stop getting worse. Uh, well, not only did it stop getting worse, it, it has gotten better. I, I love my life today. And... Um, you know, the only reason we're here in Minneapolis, because we didn't think, well, Minneapolis, do we really want to go, blah, blah, blah. Not to, I hope nobody's here from Minneapolis that they are. It's a lovely city now that I'm here. But, uh, uh, my kids, you know, they've been going to Alateen from the very beginning. And they said, what do you mean we're not going? You know, we want to go. And both me and my wife turned to each other at the dinner table and were surprised. And we said, well, we're going. There's no doubt about it. Um, this 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 idea is is beautiful because it involves the whole family. I can't think of another AA program that involves the whole family the way this this conference does. So thank you uh, for being here for me. I can see him lining up in the wings. Hi, everybody. I'm Sheila, and I'm an alcoholic and, and an addict. You almost didn't let me finish. I have to qualify completely, or I go out and get stupid again, one way or another. I'm glad to be here, um, and uh, I really want to thank you for the lead, Dave, uh, Art, <laughs> who is a good friend of mine, too, um, and ha- I had the, the great privilege of being uh, the byproduct of a, a not-so-gentle intervention by the same group of doctors that you guys met. Um, 
At that time, they were several times my size and, as you can see, several times my height. And it wasn't Dr. Harrington but his junior who said to me over the phone when I said, well, well, I can't come in this week because I'm too busy with my practice, oh, ho, ho, to which he responded. Well, you know, we just happened to talk to one of your buddies, and they've they've agreed to cover your practice. And I said, but I'm not insured. And they said, well, we just happened to talk to the medical society, and you have insurance. <laughs> I said, well, and as I ran out of excuses, uh, having entertained both this gent and uh, a woman pediatrician, ugh, being intervened on by a pediatrician, ugh, really is disgusting. What is it? What did it say about me? I always wondered about that, and of course I got furious, but that's a whole other story, and I wasn't willing. You know, so I said, "Well, I'm not sure when I can come in." And he said, "Well, you know, you really don't have to come in." Oh, and I said, "Yeah, I think I do." And he said, "No, no, we wouldn't make you come in." And I said, "But I know what you would do if I don't come in." And he said, "Oh, and what do you think we'd do?" And I said, "Lift my license." It took me one heartbeat to figure out that was, that that was on the agenda, that they would be talking to the board and I would be. So they actually took me into treatment, but of course, being willing, I decided that I was not sick. But for those of you who are newcomers here, I'm sure some of you have tried this. So believing I was not sick, I pulled out my handy-dandy textbook, being a great intellectual, you know. We all know there's nothing we can't complicate with intellect. And I read Goodman and Gilman, and that was many editions ago. And it said that withdrawal from opiates, it gives you a mild flu-like syndrome. I can see there are other sufferers here who didn't read the book. Oh, well. So... I forgot that I was taking Xanax and Valium and Inderol, and as they used to say in the Texas group, I was eating my mail, you know. And I only drank alcoholically on weekends that I could get out of town because my first treatment six years prior had taught me that I could be an alcoholic without too much sweat and give up alcohol if I didn't have to go to those damn meetings. So I, of course, stopped everything cold and had my my own flu-like syndrome and seizures, <laughs> hallucinations, and a few other odds and ends, which made me actually no more willing than I was to start out with to go into the hospital for an assessment. So... When at the end of the time that I was in four-point restraints with a band around my middle, they came in to ask me if I would sign the papers for transfer. I said, well, they want to assess me, but you've been watching me for ten days, and can't I go back to work? <laughs> and they said no. They thought, <laughs> they thought I shouldn't do that, and 
Sunday, I said, well, so I, it took me a long time to become willing. So if, if you're not willing at this stage of the game and you're a newcomer, don't feel too bad because I got better anyway just by not using and hanging around with people who seemed to be feeling better. And the one thing that attracted me the most is I came to IDA and I looked around and everybody liked each other and they seemed to be working on liking themselves. But if they didn't like themselves so much, they liked each other and they all had problems like my problems. And day at a time, I made it through my problems and as Georgia said, you know, those who have reached out to me in the past few years that I've been sober, during the toughest times when I've been sick, when my mother died, who was demented, the woman I took care of for 10 years, uh, when I changed practices, when I was struggling with whether I should go on my own or whether I should stay in the same difficult rut, when I struggled with myself and got mildly demented myself or grandiose or got up in my head and got lost there in one of the gyri. These are the people in these rooms, some of them wearing blue shirts and white shoes and sitting on the aisle. These are the people who sent me the card saying, we're sorry your mom died. We know how it feels. We went through it ourselves. These are the people who I know remembered and cared. And when they saw me again, these are the ones who asked how I was. And it wasn't just saying hi. They really meant it. And this meeting contains many of the people who are those who in their hands are the containers of the safety of my soul and have been since I've been coming. So I'm really glad to be here again. I just feel good to be here. Um, and I'm sure that will change by noon. So don't worry about it. So thanks for listening. Morning, everybody. My name is Bill, and I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic. I apologize up front for uh, the remarks I'm going to make. It may be hard to see how they're related to the subject, but accept them as an example of my willingness to share my experience, strength, and hope. Uh, I have a disease. It's chronic, progressive, incurable, and frequently fatal. It's called alcoholism. And uh, years ago, I heard uh, Clancy I from California say something that applied to me. He said uh, he did not have a problem with alcohol. If he did when he stopped drinking, then his life would have gotten better, and it didn't. He said his problem was alcoholism, and that applied to me as well. But fortunately, he and I discovered a solution to our problem, and uh, my current uh, remission is due to that solution. I am Sober today through the grace of God and the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, after last year's um, IDAA meeting, I began experiencing what I call a plateau experience. And uh, what I mean by that is that in the upward spiritual climb, occasionally we reach a leveling off uh, 
uh, period. And uh, I call that a plateau experience. If any of you have reached or uh, experienced that, you'd recognize that in this uh, experience, uh, one of the things that happens is that AA meetings begin to lose their luster. I began to feel that uh, I wasn't getting out of meetings what I used to get out of them. And I even began to find things to find fault with, criticizing the meetings and people in the meetings and what they said. And because in the past I had talked to people who had had slips and managed to come back into the fellowship, almost without exception, all of them had some uh, form of this plateau experience that preceded the slip. And I recognized that as an uh, uh, early warning uh, sign. And so I went to my sponsor and we talked it over and uh, decided that I would rework the 12 steps with him. And so we met on a, a weekly basis. And uh, when I got to the eighth and ninth step, I realized that there were still people that I thought I had uh, adequately dealt with in the past that uh, were unfinished business. So I made uh, a new list of uh, folks that I had harmed in the past. And prominent on that list were a number of my ex-partners who had uh, uh, decided to kick me out of the uh, partnership uh, five months after I got sober. And so uh, what I did with that list was uh, I got on the Internet and uh, I uh, searched out where they were currently located. And uh, and I kind of clustered them in, in different geographical groupings and uh, planned uh, road trips to meet with them individually and uh, make individual amends. Uh, and uh, my plan was, uh, and I cleared this with my sponsor, my plan was to show up unannounced, either at their home or their office. And uh, and I did just that. Um, when I when I showed up at the office, I would uh, uh, tell the reception. I give my business card to the receptionist. I'd say I'm just passing through. If Doctor X uh, has time to see me, I'd appreciate a moment of his time. And uh, that usually worked. I got in. Uh, I would uh, meet with, particularly with my ex partners, as an example. And uh, and I'd already prepared this brief uh, uh, canned speech. And I said, I'm sure you'll find this a, an uh, unusual visit. We haven't seen each other for years. and uh, But uh, it turns out that I'm a, a recovering alcoholic. And uh, I've just celebrated 23 years of uh, sobriety. And I'm uh, I'm sober because of a set of principles that I follow that are practiced in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And one of those principles is the need to make amends to people that I've harmed in the past, and you're on my list. Then I would explain to the individual why I was on his li on the list, and with my ex-partners, for example, I would say, when you uh, voted to kick me off the, uh, out of the partnership, I was angry, bitter, and resentful. But after a number of years that passed, and I haven't thought of you for years, but you resurfaced recently. 
and the need to make amends uh, became obvious to me. Because it occurred to me that a bunch of guys don't get together and decide to kick out uh, a partner if that partner hasn't either done some harm to them personally or harm to the business. So the logic is that I did harm to you personally or to the business, and therefore I need to make amends. Now, I don't know you very well, and I don't know how to make amends, but uh, here's my business card, and if you have any thoughts on it, in the future, feel free to contact me. I promise that I'll, that I'll consider your thoughts carefully, and if, if at all possible, I'll implement them and uh, thus make amends to you. That worked pretty well because a lot of them wanted to comment right off the cuff, and, and those that didn't would just uh, smile and say thanks for stopping by, and that took care of it. Um, on this trip... I decided to drive to the meeting, but after the meeting, I'm gonna, on the way back, I'm, I've got two more people on the list that I couldn't, couldn't make on that first list, and I wanted to tell you about one of them. This guy is somebody that I offended over 48 years ago, and, uh, and he uh, appeared on my list, and I was on the verge of uh, coming up to his house, and, uh, I got this sudden urge to uh, divert from my plan of action. I think this was God-directed because I decided to call on my cell phone and I got his wife. And uh, and after I checked to find out if that was the right individual, she said, well, he's not here because he's in his office. He was a clinical psych. He, he is a clinical psychologist. He had a satellite office in uh, Paducah, Kentucky, and that was uh, about two hours out of the way of my itinerary. And I, I said, well... I was just passing through, and uh, uh, will he be home later? And she said he'd be home for supper, and so I said I'll call him then. So later on in the day, and I'm farther up the the road, and I, I decide to call him, and I make contact, and I explain to him. I give him my spiel, and I finish with the, with this thought. I said, uh, you know, uh, you were really in a rage when I did this thing to you, and you said you never wanted to see me again. So I was fearful f for seeing you because, you know, you're big and strong and I was afraid you might do me bodily harm. But um, uh, he said, Bill, you know, I don't hate you. I, he said, as a matter of fact, I'm a recovering alcoholic too. I have 36 years of sobriety. And I would be happy to see you and, and become reacquainted. So I'm going to see him on the way back. And so... My, my final, my final remark, and, and I, uh, this is all I got to say, is that prior to this adventure, I resolved that I wasn't out to seek forgiveness. I wasn't out to seek absolution. I wasn't out to seek even understanding. All I was out to seek was another technique to stay sober. Thank you for listening to me. Good morning, I'm Dick, recovering alcoholic. Can't come up here and can't start a uh, IDA meeting without remembering Hal Marley. Um, I had the good fortune of meeting him. Um, gave me one of his pens. And gratitude is something that uh, I hang on to with the idea that if I'm grateful for what I have today, I do not have to reminisce into the past and dwell on that. 
I can let it go. I can accept the fact that I'm an alcoholic. I can also accept the fact that life is great. It's not just good, it's great. It's not just great, it's fantastic. What I have learned in these rooms in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous is beyond my wildest imagination as far as where I could be as a human being. Uh, I think it was ten years ago I came to the first meeting of IDAA, and I can remember feeling very isolated, uh, very lonely, very scared, very insecure. I really shouldn't be here because I don't fit in. And over time, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that Hal Marley was probably the single most influential individual in that first meeting because he made me think about what I had rather, what, rather than what I didn't have. And being grateful for the things I have has allowed me to grow. The immaturity that I had when I quit drinking was unbelievable. I can remember the, the therapist that I used told me that uh, he could help me with my emotional issues, but if I wanted to get sober and stay sober, I needed to go to Alcoholics Anonymous for the rest of my life. And I believed him. And as I went through the early processes of recovery, which were extremely painful for me emotionally, um, I don't ever want to go back to that, that pain and that misery and that despair that I had. But as I worked through those issues with this gentleman, he gave me this word of advice. He says, when we talk and you make statements here about who you want to be and what you want to do, you take those statements and thoughts and you act on them. And the best place to act on them is in Alcoholics Anonymous. He said, because no matter how foolish you feel, no matter how you may act or how inappropriate the behavior is, they will love you and they will care about you and they'll invite you back. They will not give up on you ever, because that was one of my big issues, a lack of trust and support. Uh, I grew up with an awful, uh, awful lot of toxic shame, a lot of guilt that I was never going to measure up to be who I thought I should be or who other people thought I should be. But I am so grateful for the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and the program of IDAA. The gentleman was talking about plateaus. One of the things I use to prevent plateaus are special events. And this is a special event for me. We plan this trip. As soon as we can register, we register. We get on the Internet. We make arrangements for travel, for reservations. And it is something that we look forward to on an annual basis because it's a way of me and my wife evaluating where we want to go, what we want to do with the quality of our life and our relationship. So plateauing, I understand. I've been there a number of times doing it. Uh, six months ago, I had, and, and one of the hang-ups I had in early recovery was suicidal desires. I, I just couldn't handle it. I thought suicide was a way out. Six months ago, I ran into one of these things for some reason. I hit a stone wall, and this idea that I should really kill myself, I'm really not worthy, came up. And it bothered me for a number of days until I had the courage to start talking about that particular situation openly and honestly with a group of trusted friends in Alcoholics Anonymous. Nobody gave me advice. Nobody told me what I should or should not do. 
just everybody listen to me. Everybody hug me, keep coming back, it'll get better. And that's what I found has happened in Alcoholics Anonymous. No matter what situation I personally have faced, the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous has given me a platform to grow on. Uh, where I am today, it, it is just absolutely beautiful. I, I can never, ever, ever thank Alcoholics Anonymous for, for the quality of my life. Shakespeare has a little quote. It says, self-love, my liege, is not so vile a sin as self-neglect. And I hang on to that because I neglected myself. I hated my guts before I came into this fellowship. Today, I can honestly tell you I love me. And I work very diligently to honor myself with the idea of staying sober one day at a time. I've got exactly what I want and what I need out of life. So I welcome all the love and all the support I get from IDAA. I need it. I need you. And I thank you for being there. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Yasin. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, willingness. Um, I was, I think, 15 years old when I realized I was quite lazy. Uh, my insides stopped matching my outsides. Like, I, I knew I had to exercise every day. And I have never exercised every day. Um, I knew that I had to, you know, eat healthy and I never ate healthy. I ate whatever came, uh, you know, in front of me and so on, so on. A lot of things that I really wanted to do and I could not do. So when I came into recovery almost two years ago, uh, I have been most willing to do everything that I have missed out uh, in the last 20 years or so. Like uh, last night when I was sleeping, I affirmed uh, 20 times. I'm going to wake up at 4.30 and exercise. I'm going to wake up at 4.30 and exercise. Now, I don't understand. I, that wasn't really willingness. That was self-will. And it did not work. Uh, <laughs> now, now I, I plan to run on the treadmill at between 10 and 10.30 because the CME, in between that time, I, I know most about it. So I'm going to go to the treadmill. For that to happen, I just need to eat the fruit not anything else, because otherwise I won't be able to run. So I am very, very willing just to have coffee and eat fruit. Uh, that, uh, you know, I think will work. But when the time comes for me to do what I want to do, I realize that it's discipline that uh, that helps me. And I have very, very little discipline. I uh, have always wanted to have a Greek God body, uh, wanted to dress up really fine, uh, wanted to make a million dollars and, uh, you know, have all the right friends and drive a Ferrari. And today I'm very, very willing to have all that. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and there, there is a trick behind all this because, you know, it actually is working. Uh, all, I mean, before I came into recovery, it would be unthinkable for me to, you know, wake up at seven or eight for a meeting like this. So it was against everything I believed in. It was against my religion to wake up early in the morning. But today I'm able to. So I think that's willingness because I didn't really, you know, try to wake up uh, and come to this meeting. But today I'm able to. So I'm my life is gradually changing. And I'm up on this pedestal because my great grand sponsor, I mean my grand sponsor, he, he said that, you know, go and, uh, go and speak uh, on the podium. So I'm, I'm willing to do what it takes. But I think it's it's a mix of discipline and 
and uh, willingness that gets me where I have to. And uh, as Nike says, is just do it. So uh, I'm, I, I mean, I, but I really don't do what what I have to. And so I have very little integrity. Uh, my ins- <laughs> my inside has never matched my outside, but it's getting close. It's getting you know where where I really want it to be. Uh, with this, uh, thank you very much. My name is Bob, and I'm an alcoholic. Grateful to be here sober today. Um, great topic. Thank you for your lead. Um, for me, willingness came real hard in the beginning. Um, I had never taken direction, and uh, and I don't really understand um, how I got to the point of becoming willing, except that I believe that it was a gift from my higher power. Um, it was pointed out to me uh, when I was very early in sobriety that um, if I didn't have the willingness, I could pray for it. Um, there's something about that in uh, in the big book or in uh, step eight, and that's what I did um, because I I just didn't have the willingness. Uh, I got to this program not believing that I was an alcoholic, not believing that I was an addict, just believing that I'd gotten caught, and uh, you know that was my attitude. Um, and it didn't take long for me to understand what the problem was, but um, during that period when, you know, I just wanted to go back to my life and have everybody get off my ass, um, I just wasn't willing. And uh, and so I did pray for it. And so my experience is that if you're not willing, um, prayer helps. And it certainly helped me. And I became willing. And I pray for willingness every day. And I've done that uh pretty much every day since I've gotten sober. And I've been willing to do a lot of stuff that I never thought that I would be doing. Um, and one of those was coming to IDA. First couple of years I was sober, you know, my head told me, well, why the hell would I want to come together with a bunch of doctors? I never wanted to do that when I was drinking and drugging. Why would I want to do it now? You know, I was just fine in my home group and and the A that I was uh, doing and, and uh, I was just fine. But finally I got through that. And, uh, and became willing to come and fell in love with IDA and Boca Raton in 1990, and I've been coming pretty much ever since. So um, sometimes when I don't have the willingness today, that's what I fall back on, is just God help me to be willing. And it works. Thanks. Good morning. My name is Lynn. I'm an alcoholic. And thanks for your lead, Art. It's a, it's a great topic. Um, willingness, as we all know, is the underlying principle of the sixth step. Uh, in fact, the original version, uh, was, uh, we're entirely willing, but, uh, now it says we're entirely ready, which is kind of like, like a little extra dimension for me. You not only have to be Willing, that is, to be favorably disposed to uh, some course of action, but to, to be willing and ready, uh, that's just a little extra degree of, of motivation. And for me, willingness uh, came hard, as so many have mentioned this morning, because uh, it, would take, uh, it would take a lot of pain. You know, I was one of these no pain, no gain guys. Uh, 
when it started to hurt enough, uh, and I got to that certain threshold, a certain, certain level, yes, then I was willing to maybe consider, uh, that, uh, my way wasn't working. So it's, it's, uh, it, and it's an ongoing process to, to, to continue, uh, to stay, uh, favorably disposed, uh, to recovery. You know, I, I, I am convinced that my sobriety, uh, was truly a gift, uh, certainly uh, not through anything I did. But while my sobriety is a gift, um, recovery is my job. And, and in order to get the job done, I have to be willing to do the steps on a regular, ongoing basis because this disease is, uh, as we all know, uh, chronic, which means uh, it never goes away and it's prone to relapse. And, and in Seattle, where I live now, uh, just recently we've had, in fact, I was at a meeting yesterday at noon where one of the old timers uh, with uh, 20 plus years relapsed. Uh, he, he essentially stopped being willing. He wasn't willing to do what was necessary to keep this lid on. It's just so neat to be here at IDA again. This is a special event and uh, it's on my calendar and, and has been for 22 of the last 24 years. Uh, and thanks to Dick sitting in the audience and Gordy and everybody else who's worked so hard to make this thing, uh, what it is today is, is just, it's just wonderful. Things are really good today for me. Uh, first of all, I've retired, so I don't have to work anymore. And, and that helps and that gives me more time to go to meetings and, and enjoy the fellowship and, and, and do some extra service. Uh, work was always getting in the way of that somehow or another. Uh, there's a guy in Seattle, his name is Ralph. They have an old timers meeting there once a year and, uh, I just love what he said. Uh, he's, Ralph's got 45 years plus, just a little over 45 years, uh, in the program. And he said, uh, there are no good or bad days. It's just varying degrees of self-pity. And <laughs> that's worked for me. Thank you.